Galatians chapter 2. Book of Galatians chapter 2. The famous words penned by our forefathers reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These truths were held so strongly by these men in 1776 that they closed the Declaration of Independence with these words. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And with those words, those brave men set themselves on a path of conflict that would eventually lead to liberty. Well, the state house bell would be rung for all the the lawmakers, all these men to come together. And it was hung in the Pennsylvania State House. Today we call that building Independence Hall, and we call that bell the Liberty Bell. And abolitionists, woman suffrage advocates, civil rights leaders have all taken inspiration from the inscription that's written on that bell. But did you know that the words that are written on that bell are scripture? Which planted a a divine idea of freedom in the hearts of so many of those who devised those words. Listen to the words that are inscribed on the Liberty Bell. They come from Leviticus 25.10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. And it's those words, proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It's written on that bell. The year of Jubilee was just one of the ways that God has told us what our hearts truly long for. And that is what He has for those who love Him and who trust Him. And that is freedom. That is liberty. And so we must always be vigilant to protect the freedom that God has granted us. Well, in the book of Galatians, Paul tells us, What's going on? He had to fight for the freedom that God has granted us. According to Paul, the year of Jubilee is here, and the year of Jubilee can be found in the person and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so nothing should cause us to go back to legalism. Nothing should cause us to go back to the law. We should never fail to stand up for that freedom For the blood of Christ has won it for us, and it belongs to every person who calls upon the name of the Lord, regardless of their past sin, regardless of their race, regardless of their color, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their creed. Christ Jesus has rung the liberty bell for all who heed his call. So let us declare the truth of God's grace as we consider Together, the believer's declaration of independence. Look with me at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15. 
We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild the system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. And here comes this famous passage. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the freedom and the liberty that we have through your Son, Jesus. Through the gospel of grace, not a gospel of works. Lord, this morning, may we embrace that truth. May we defend that truth. May we live that truth. That Jesus has redeemed us from the curse and freed us to live in liberty. Open our minds that we might understand. Open our hearts that we might have your word penetrate us and change us. Lord, let your word go out and not return void. Pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. First thing I want us to see this morning is there is a freedom worth dying for. A freedom worth dying dying for. Before any battle can be won on the field, the battle must first be won in the hearts and the minds of the people. The first victory of the Revolutionary War actually came many years before in Williamsburg, Virginia. In the Virginia House of Burgesses, the the man who would become known as the voice of the revolution called his people to see the choice that was laid before them. You probably know the last line of Patrick Henry's speech, but let me share with you the last paragraph. Henry said, Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And the remarkable point of that speech was to stir up his fellow countrymen to see what was at stake. That in order to achieve peace, they would have to become slaves. They would, before there could be freedom in America, there had to be a willingness to die for that freedom, to fight for that freedom in the hearts of the American people. 
But in the church in Galatia, their hearts had not yet gotten to that point yet. The Galatians wanted to live in peace. They wanted to just go along with what the other people were saying about converts to Christianity having to be, become Jews, having to be circumcised, having to follow the law in order to be saved. For that had been the idea. But that was not the gospel of God's grace. It was not the freedom that God had planned for His people. It was a distortion. It was a misuse of the law. The law was not given without love, but the law had been compromised because of men's hard hearts. So even Paul says that Peter failed to stand up. Even his friend Barnabas gave in to these false teachers, these Judaizers that came and said, you had to become a Jew first to become a Christian. And so before the enemy in the church could be addressed, the church had to first be corrected. And Paul says, I had to go to Jerusalem to speak to this council. All future world missions, all future evangelism, all future understanding of the Christian faith depended on what was decided at this council in Jerusalem. And it seemed like no one was willing to stand up. But then Paul, stood up. And he wrote of this climactic moment in church history earlier in the chapter. It was a struggle for freedom. Paul relates how the struggle for, for freedom took him to Jerusalem to fight over grace and legalism. And this fight caused, Peter to, uh, caused Paul to oppose Peter to his face. Paul's companion Barnabas gave in to the demands of these false teachers. And they demanded this Religious ritual will be a condition to receive God's favor. Paul stood against all of these without wavering in the truth of the gospel. That a person is justified only through faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing a person can do to gain his salvation. There is not enough good deeds to outweigh all of our bad nature, our sin nature, but only the blood of Christ has the power. To save. And so Paul defended the gospel of grace. And he recounts this story to the Galatians. And he, and he closes it with this personal climatic appeal that's much like that of Patrick Henry's speech. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I think this is more compelling than Patrick Henry facing his, his friends and proclaiming, give me liberty or give me death. I think this is more critical than Ronald Reagan facing off with communism and demanding Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. I think this is more convicting than JFK saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Because the, the words of Galatians 2 were written by Paul the Apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in every age. These words remind me of what Joshua said in Joshua 24. He said, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity and in truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today 
which will you worship, the gods of your ancestors who you worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which we're living? But as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. It's like Elijah standing on Mount Carmel before the nation of Israel and saying, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. So in other words, what I'm saying is that this is Paul's declaration of independence. It's his statement of this is what I believe and that I'm willing to die for. So there is a freedom that is worth dying for. And that is, according to Paul, freedom from the law. Both Paul and the Judaizers understood that God is holy. They understood that God requires perfection. They understood that man is sinful and has rebelled against God. They understood that man is born in sin and thereby separated from God. And so, because of this, man needs to be justified with God, need to be made into a right relationship with Him. The question is simply, how do we do that? The Judaizers taught that the way to be justified, the way to be made right with God, was through the law. You had to be in obedience to the law of Moses. But Paul says that it's not through the law, but it's through adherence to the gospel of Jesus. It is not what we do, but what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so the debate here is, how does one determine how to live right? Is it... Through the law, or is it through the gospel? But for people in our age, in our postmodern age, this question seems redundant. For people reject that there's any kind of object, objectifiable criteria of what is right and what is wrong, there's no such thing as good or evil. They believe that the self and the way one feels is the only moral guide that one should follow. In fact, Think about what Mark Twain wrote. He said, if something is moral, it is something you feel good after. If it's moral, that means after you do it, you feel good. The opposite of that would be true, though, right? If you do something and you feel bad about it, then it was morally bad. The problem is you can't think in moral absolutes in this system. Everything becomes relative, and this moral relativity of this contemporary post-modernity age is like that in the book of Judges, which we're going to begin next week looking at, but says, every man does what is right in his own eyes. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight correctly said, it is my contention that until our society awakens morally, it will be difficult for us to apply the doctrine of justification. Because if there's no right or wrong, then defining doctrine of justification is lost. If there's no God who's holy, there's no God whose wrath against sin must be appeased, then even a basic understanding of the gospel of grace is lost. So if people have no common understanding of sin, and they have no common understanding of God, and they have no common understanding of the need to be justified before this holy God, then what are we to do? What are we as Christians to do? 
We need to be like Patrick Henry. We, we have to stand up and, and help the people see the choice that is laid before them. Have to see the reality of the situation. Do you not see that this is already happening? This is going on around you and you just are ignorant of it. We need to call on our generation to understand that there is a God and that He has spoken. And in speaking, He has declared that because we have rebelled against Him, we have failed to keep Him first in our lives, we have failed to worship Him properly as He deserves as Creator God, that what we deserve is His wrath, and we are recipients of His wrath because we have rebelled against Him. And so we need to understand the plight of man, but we also need to understand the power of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so if we admit the power of God and the power of His word over man and assume the man are sinners, as Scripture tells us, and we need to be made right with God, then the question becomes, how do we get right with God? And then we're back to the context of our passage here. For if Christianity was to be a, a fulfillment made to Israel, a fulfillment of the promise that's made to Israel is now being made to all people of all nations, then our people who are from outside Israel required to become Jews in order to become Christians. And Paul, who describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, who is schooled in the finest traditions of Judaic law, excuse me, but touched by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, Paul says the answer is no. He says you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. Because the law cannot justify anyone. So this is not Paul throwing out the law as, as being unbeneficial, as being redundant, as being useless. He's not looking toward moral anarchy. But look at what he says in verse 17 and 18 and realize that this is the point. I'm not saying that the law is bad. I'm not saying that we should become lawbreakers. I'm not saying that we should live according to sin, for that makes Christ a sinner, justifying sin. But he's asserting the law cannot justify a person in their relationship with God. They can't make a relationship with God correct by following in obedience to the law, because we can't follow in obedience to the law. We all fail. And so what the law does is we stand it up and it shows where we are failing. It shows that we are lawbreakers. And so it can't justify us, but it can point us to the justifier. And so since it's ineffective in this greater purpose, then these new believers are not required to become Jews to be Christians. They are free from the burden of the law. And since they are free from the burden of law, that makes them free to live by Christ. They are freed from the law by Christ. Only the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross can atone for our sin. And Paul makes it personal. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? 
What does it mean when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ? And what Paul means here is that Christ's death was vicarious. It is effective. What Jesus did on the cross was effective for Paul. It was effective for me, and it's effective for you. Anyone who believes in the name of Christ is crucified with Christ. For Isaiah 53 says he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned and gone our own way, and the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. So on the cross, Paul's sin was put to death, and our sin was put to death with Christ and in Christ. But there's also more here. Jesus told Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And this new birth begins with death. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, Jesus bids men to come and die. So Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. Positionally, my sin was there with Christ when he died. So positionally, I died with Christ. But personally, I was born again when Jesus met me on the road to Damascus. And he called me to live for him. So what Paul means by I've been crucified with Christ is that Jesus' death saved him. Do you ever watch the, the show Extreme Makeover? This show would, would take experts in, in cos, cosmetic surgery. They'd have them bring a person in, and they would work to give them a new look. They, they would tuck here and nip here and, and smooth and, and beautify and apply makeup. And at the end, they would present this person. They would turn them around in the chair. They'd come walking out, and they'd look like a completely different person. The reality is they were the same person. They just had a lot of work done on the outside. Well, that's kind of how religion works. Religion says you change your habits, you make commitments to a new way of life, you get a makeover, you, you stop smoking, you start going to church on Sundays, you, you dress nice, you carry a really big Bible, you smile a lot, you have all these external changes but that doesn't change the inside. So that's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul wants to see is an internal change. But what the Judaizers wanted was this external change. They wanted to see how people were going to live. They wanted observance to the law, but Paul says the observance to the law is not enough. You must recognize your sins. You must die to yourself. For Christ took the sinfulness of your past life to the grave, and you have to identify with that. You have to have your old person of sin die with Christ so that you are free to live in Christ. Free to live in Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live in Christ. And Paul admitted, I'm no longer the same man. I'm different. I'm no longer under my own control. I don't do what I want. I do what Christ wants, for Christ is alive in me, guiding me, leading me. I am under another power. And so by recognizing your sinfulness and repenting of your sins and accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior and believing that He is God and, and that He died and He rose from the dead, 
we become united with Him through the agency of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Judaizers, as they're looking, they're, they're going, this sounds like anarchy. This sounds like craziness because you're saying we don't have to follow obedience to the law. And so if people are not bound under the law, then they're going to live as they want. They're going to freely sin. And so they reason that people could believe in Christ, but then live however they wanted. And therefore, by their sinful actions, they would make Jesus a promoter of sin. But Paul made it clear, this is not the case. For if someone is saved by the gospel of Christ, then they become filled by the Spirit of Christ, and He enables men and women to live according to the mind of Christ. So while we've seen people who make commitments to Christ to have said, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to follow Christ, they come down and said a prayer, and then they walk away and nothing changes, We see that, but were they really filled with the Spirit? If someone is truly filled with the Spirit, they don't need a system of rules. They don't need regulations to tell them what is right, for the power of God works in their hearts and minds to lead them into God's truth. Hebrews 10 makes it clear. The law is written on the Christian's heart and mind. Listen to what he says. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. For he says... This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So for those who surrender to Christ, we're we're no longer our own. We belong to Christ. He possesses us. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And we cease to live when His death saves us. But then we truly live when He takes control of our life. He comes into a person's life and he takes control and he empowers us in every area of our existence. We are able to be experiencing his power through our relationships. We we experience through our attitudes. We experience through our decisions. We experience through our response to sorrow. We experience it in our understanding of tragedy. And we also understand it in our awareness of joy. Amidst it all. Christ reigns, Christ moves, and he empowers his people, not to live just in him, but also to live for him. For not only are we free in Christ and by Christ, but we are free to live for Christ. Free to live for Christ. Amid this theological reflection on his struggle for justification by faith, it is talk so filled with the doctrine of Union in Christ. The Apostle Paul caps off this freedom speech with this tender statement. He says, He loves me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels us, for we have reached this conclusion. If one died, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Paul's motivation behind all of his ministry was the love of Christ. It was a love that Christ, he experienced from Christ and the love that he reciprocated back toward Christ. Paul traveled all around the Roman Empire. He preached the gospel of a Messiah 
who came and was crucified for the sins of his people. Paul was beaten. He was tortured. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned to the point that he, everybody thought he was dead. And then he got up and walked back in the city and began preaching again. And he says, the reason for it all is I was compelled by the love of Christ and his love to tell the message. He was willing to stand up and fight for the truth of the gospel. He was willing to be a slave to Christ for it meant liberty for those who heard it. Patrick Henry was willing to be a slave to freedom. He was willing to be in chains and shackles in order to gain the freedom of America. But are you, Christian, are you willing to be a slave for Christ? Are you willing to proclaim the good news of liberty that's found in Christ Jesus to people who are still bound in the shackles of sin? Are you willing to proclaim this gospel of liberty to those who are still bound to religion and the observance of the law? Paul summarizes his declaration in Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The question is settled once and for all. God is pleased with His Son, and if you are in His Son, then you are free. His death saves you. His life empowers you. And His love compels you. The Declaration of Independence created a free people, a a republic that we now live in. But a believer's Declaration of Independence, of trusting in Christ alone, can free a man, it can free a woman, it can free a boy, it can free a girl. In Christ Jesus, the year of Jubilee is here. Through His grace, all of us may declare, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Have you made that decision today? Have you identified yourself with Christ in His suffering and received the liberty that comes through His gospel? If not, won't you make that decision today? Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Why don't you stand with me as we pray?